Good evening and welcome back to the Elio Sideshow. Fine. I guess it's Thursday right now. Usually we may be a day late on this just because of uh, scheduling purposes, but we got a good episode today. It's called Knowledge is Power. Seven things most cops know that would scare most civilians. I, I uh, did not even, I mean, I, I glanced over the episode, but uh, I purposely didn't, didn't look at it too much because I'm curious to see uh, what it's all about. Well, it's intriguing. I do. I, I, I find I find a lot of these articles via Police One, okay, and they have some good insight and some good uh, testimonials. And so I gotta give credit to Police One. And, uh, this is from, actually from like a March article, but I'm gonna put my purview into it and to get your purview and your knowledge because knowledge is power in this. But. Put the Elio sideshow spin on it. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's jump right into it. And I actually found a really good case too. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with uh, victims, what the civilians don't know about us and that kind of stuff. So today's word is victimology. Okay. Ooh. The study of victimization, including the psychological effects on victims, relationships between victims and offenders, the interactions between victims and the criminal justice system. And that can be a relationship between victims and police, victims and corrections, victims in the court system, which is probably the biggest impact on the vict- on victims, because that includes public defenders, that includes juries, that includes the district attorneys, that includes victim witness coordinators, all that is compact in courts, including the judges. So uh, they have a large impact on victim. And when we talk about victimology, a lot of times we talk about it in the negative sense. And by that, I mean, we talk about stupid people, as my son's listening to what I'm saying. And stupid people, we mean like the people that are warming up their cars. Uh, the producer's giving me a bad look right now. Uh, as like the people that are warming up their cars in wintertime and leave their cars running and their car gets stolen. And we call that victimology because now the police got to come out and take a report potentially go find this car who knows what happens if the person you get in the vehicle pursued or what happens with that all because this person wanted to go outside and start up their car for two to three minutes beforehand with the leaving the car running who knows 10 years from now that might not even exist because the push button starts or remote starts but yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, and, and I don't know if you'll get this, get into this later on in the episode too, is that, uh, you know, we, we also look at the victim's involvement in other things. If, uh, because, you know, again, you and I work in a, an urban city and we have some victims who say that they were just walking down the street and somebody came up and shot them in the hand. And right. you're like, well, okay. So then you do a little bit of research and you find out that, you know, a little bit of background information and, and maybe, you know, this, the story's not jiving and you kind of get an idea with, uh, with the victimology on what's right. going on. We, you, know, you and I both know that we've been doing this long enough to understand that 
in most scenarios involving this, uh, either if it's like a non-fatal shooting or something like that, or where an individual gets targeted, it's not a random event. While those do occur, the vast majority are quote unquote victims are targeted for some reason or another, whether it's some sort of stupid beef or some fight on social media. I mean, we've seen that. We've seen violent acts as a result of social media posts. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. And those aren't, we don't, while they're still victims, we don't necessarily consider them quote unquote true victims in, as in like the innocent, totally innocent person. And there's been occasions like that, you know, we, that's what our fear is that, you know, there may be like, you know, an aggravated assault, a non-fatal shooting or something like that. And a stray bullet goes and, you know, God forbid hits a kid or, you know, hits somebody just walking down the street. That that can happen, but it's the vast, you know, it, it's definitely the vast minority of, of, of victimologies. So. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of what victimology when we refer to it is, but it, it actually is a study, and you know the relationship between the victims and everyone else in the criminal justice system. But so I found this case is pretty interesting, and this is this is a victim, and it was a it was a uh, sexual assault case, okay, out of Minnesota, and it's a pretty recent one, and it's called. Hold on. <laughs> it's called it's called NRBH, so NRAY B dot H, so initials versus and I'm gonna have to pronounce this and butcher it. Sengiz C E N G I Z Gino Yield Durin. Okay, don't even ask. Okay. But it's it will we'll put it we'll put uh, the link on the show notes. A lot easier to just click the link yeah. instead of searching yeah. it. So Yildirim is the last name of the accused, Y-I-L-D-R-I-M. So on March 27, 2019, the state, okay, so Minnesota, charged Yildirim with criminal sexual conduct in third degree under Minnesota statute, their section, for an, for an alleged assault taking place on December 9, 2018. Okay, so you're talking four months after the fact. The complaint alleged that the following facts, and when we talk about BH, the initials, why are they initialed as a sexual assault victim there, Frank? Uh, so that they can protect their identity? Correct. So whenever we talk about sexual assault victims or juveniles, we always usually have them initialed. Okay. So BH, victim, attended a concert with friends on the evening of December 8, 2018. After the concert, BH and her friends went to a bar, drank, returned to one of the apartments to sleep. BH awoke in the early morning hours to find Yildirim, the suspect, who was a friend of a friend, quote, in bed with her and touching her. BH told him to stop and she fell asleep again. She woke two more times to Yildirim touching her the last time his fingers penetrated her, you know what, okay? So when she woke up in the morning, Yildirim was gone, but his watch was on the nightstand near the bed and BH discovered blood wiped on the bed sheets. BH reported the alleged assault to friends and went to the hospital for a sexual assault examination. Two days later, she reported the alleged assault to the police. She told the police that she recalled sending a text message around 2.30 a.m. on December 9th, so the day after, or I guess it would be that same night in the morning before falling asleep. She later awoke to the suspect, Yildirim, in bed with her, and she also told the police that she used her cell phone the next morning to take pictures of blood on the bed sheets and the watch on the nightstand. So that's important. She used her phone. She further reported that she communicated with Yildirim about the alleged assault on Instagram. All right. 
So on December 17, 2018, about a week and a half later, BH took her cell phone to the Minneapolis Police Department to provide documentary proof of her allegations. The police extracted a portion of the contents of the phone and returned the phone to that her the same day. On March 27, 2019, the state charged Yildirim. And we know that because in speaking with uh, V a while ago, these sexual assault cases don't just, you know, you don't get a charge right away. It takes a little while. This is like three months later. So on March 27, 2019, the state charged Yildirim. And although the criminal case has yet to be tried, the procedural history is involved. Two months after charging, Yildirim moved for general disclosure of, quote, books, papers, documents, photographs, law enforcement officer reports, and tangible objects which relate to the case from the state under Minnesota rules or criminal procedure, aka what we call discovery. He later specifically requested the state produce BH's cell phone for independent forensic inspection in the forensic file that police downloaded from the phone. The state produced the cell phone data in the format of a timeline from a four-day range, December 7th, through December 10th, and on November 14th, Yildirim moved to compel production of PH's cell phone for forensic analysis. According to Yildirim's computer forensics expert, this information consists of PDF files that condense the data, organized it chronologically, and summarized the aggregated information using nine fields, which we're going to get type, direction, yeah, yeah, you don't need to know about. The stipulation order provided that cell phone data from November 9th, 2018 through March 27th, 2019, from March 27th, 2019, should be provided to Yildirim. Okay, so what what they're, what's going on here, and a lot of jargon, is the state provided the downloaded data, like in related to this case, from the cell phone to uh, the suspect, Yildirim. The suspect's attorney wants the phone because they want to extract all the data themselves. So the state maintained that this data was all the data that had in its possession from the download of the cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yildirim again moved to compel the state to produce the cell phone and comply with the stipulation of the order. And at a hearing on December 12, 2019, the district court granted Yildirim's motion and ordered the state to ask BH, the victim, to provide her phone to the court. And BH declined to do so. Several weeks later, Yildirim and his attorney moved for a court order to subpoena BH's cell phone under the Minnesota Rules of Criminal Procedure. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, on January 10th, 2020, the court granted the motion by email and Yildirim served the subpoena on BH. Okay, so what what you have here is a lot of appeals going on or, or not appeals because it hasn't been going to trial yet, but a lot of uh, pre-trial motions to get this cell phone. Okay, so the court said this, we conclude that a factual analysis, the totality of the circumstances is appropriate here. District courts faced with the victim's motion to quash or modify a subpoena that was sought under subdivision must make a determination whether compliance is unreasonable given the totality of circumstances. And we talked about this phrase, totality of circumstances. The circumstances to be considered will depend on the case at hand and may include, but are not limited to, the relevance and the materiality of the record sought, the specific need of the defendant for the records and whether they are otherwise procurable, the admissibility usefulness of the records, including whether they can be used for impeachment of a material witness, whether the request is made in good faith and is not a fishing expedition, and the burden on the party producing the information, including the privacy interests of the victim, which is very important. Okay, so I'm going to scroll down here to the very end, where it basically says, yada, 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 da, 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 da. sorry, it's a big case. Basically says that uh, 
because of the cell phone and the privacy interests of the victim, the state had already handed over the files downloaded that would be material to the case. And the courts actually sided with the victim and said, no, you don't have to hand over your actual cell phone to for extraction by the defense. Okay. And which kind of goes along with the uh, maybe a year or so old Supreme Court decision, whether, you know, we're familiar with when you arrest somebody and they got a cell phone on you to actually search that cell phone, you need a search warrant or consent from the, the owner because a phone is, I mean, our phones are our livelihoods now. I mean, how about Frank, how about you and I, we just have, how many passwords do you have stored on your phone or in the cloud at this point? Passwords. We do all our payments on our phone. We Correct. You know, transfer money on our so phone. The court's basically ruling like, okay, we're given the, yes, we're given, yes. Do they have a right to that information and that phone if it's evidence? But we also have to weigh the totality of circumstances and the victim's privacy involved because they're using their cell phone for so many more things. So that is a good case for the victim. And it's a good case for the uh, the, the state because they, they actually won that. Uh, and she didn't have to hand over her cell phone, which I, I agree. I think that's, uh, you know, that's a little r- ridiculous to hand over the entire cell phone and for like an extract, extract you know, could you imagine like handing over your iPhone? Like, what would you do? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I don't see why the defense just didn't say, I, you know, provide the, you know, any text messages, you know, relating to this assault, right? You know, before or after this incident, and then yeah. she, and then she, it's 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 upon her to be truthful and Correct. to submit all those things to the defense. I think that she would have probably done that then. It's it, the problem is is that I don't think anybody feels comfortable, especially any adult who does, you know, their banking, their, right. you know, again, like even even if you don't have like raunchy pictures of you and your wife, you know, or you and your your mistresses or your girlfriends and stuff like that on on your phone, I still don't want to hand it over. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, I got like raunchy, I got raunchy pictures of you on there. Yeah, 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 sweaty pictures at the gym. <laughs> Eating donut. Actually, the only picture you and I have on each other is the ice cream club. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've already mentioned that. We should, you know, we we might do delve into an ice cream podcast, but I don't know how many mm-hmm. listeners we get. Probably even less than this one. <laughs> the ice cream podcast. But anyway, so uh, that that's kind of what ties into victimology. It's a good case for a victim. Uh, again, sexual sexual assault cases are their own type of you know thing there, and it's good that the courts rule in that favor. Minnesota's notoriety with being on the left as far as court cases is pretty much well known. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a good case for the victim. You know, we, sexual assault victims are given extra protection under the courts because the courts have really understood sexual assault cases and domestic violence cases. The courts are given a lot of free way to leeway to victims in those and to the cops for exigency and stuff like that, too. So anyway, it ties into the whole victim kind of we're talking about the victim victimology and what's going on. And with that, you know, we talking we're talking civilians and the layperson that just don't understand what exactly cops encounter or know about. So I found this article in Police One. I thought it was very interesting. Seven things that most cops know that seven things most cops know that would scare most civilians. Okay, number one, I put this on there not to scare people. But 
life is short and death is unpredictable. Okay. I'm not like coming up with, you know, that's some like drastic statement I'm making, but you know, well, on of all the, on all the fatal traffic collisions and violent crime scenes, sometimes we get there and the victim never knew that that day was going to be the last day on earth. And I can say for hundred percent, I have seen that the first week weekend after uh, I got uh, promoted, I was in charge of a scene where a guy literally had not taken his medication driving erratically and just walloped this dude on a bicycle who's just riding his bike. Yeah. Didn't even see it coming. No idea. Yeah, and, coming home from and, work. And, guy, guy was riding his bike, coming home from work. No idea what was about to come and, and come in a, uh, come and occur and, and kill him. And, right. you know, it was a sad, sad scene. Sad, sad. I guess the only positive was the guy didn't suffer at all. Okay. But it's just, this guy had no idea what was coming and he never knew it was going to be his last day on earth riding his bike home from work. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you're talking here that why you're, you're one of the things that would scare civilians is how many times we as officers see this where people or family members have no idea that that's their loved one's last day. Mm-hmm. And it just makes you live on. I mean, it just makes you kind of just cringe or, or get the right. goose pimples, goosebumps that you never know. I mean, we've all gone to those scenes where, you know, you, you know, they say the cops are emotionless or have a you know blank face. And, you know, we do compartmentalize a lot of things, but it's still one of those things. It's like, man, that's, I just, you know, you just feel bad. You feel bad for the family because you just, you, you know what they're going through and you can't control what happened to a loved one. And in that situation, it was just like, it's crazy. Now, I, I guess the only like, positive was that the person was charged and uh, as a result, of kind of a long investigation on that. But, you know, what do you, you know, how do you, like, how do you explain that to your family? You don't, you don't, you can't explain one person did something that was wrong and as a result ended this other person's life. So, and in that situation, it wasn't necessarily intentional. It was reckless and what we call reckless and negligent and all that type of stuff. But still as a result, you know, one person's here and one person's not. So, so life is short. Death is unpredictable. It's kind of a, uh, uh, moving first topic, but, Sometimes, uh, number two, life is unfair, okay? And what I mean by that is they provide the article of, uh, you know, the drunk driver who can kill several people in a traffic accident can walk away unscathed from the, from the collision, or the seven-year-old violent alcoholic can be fit as a fiddle. Yet, you know, you see, you know, young people with cancer or diseases and stuff like that. And we, we see that. We see it all the time. Like, we think of the one guy, like, remember? The drinker. He's been there drinking his life away. Oh my gosh! And For ever years since we, and years. Yeah, since we started, he kept telling us that he has cancer and he's going to die soon. Well, it's been twelve years, and all he does is continue to drink. Yeah. So I think I think God's looking over him and just keeping him alive for some reason. But I don't. I don't. We have never even verified whether or not he has cancer. But that's what he said. But he literally drinks nonstop every day. Yep. And we're yeah, not and talking. The, we're not talking top shelf liquor. You know the same thing, and we have a saying in police work too, where it's uh, where for this uh, 
this unfairness is where we get shot in the pinky and you know yep we get gangrene and we get some infection and it kills us and then there's other people who get shot you know 15 times and uh yeah yeah you we mentioned you know court sentences sometimes the way that the, the sentence works out, not as a result of poor investigation, could be poor investigation, but just the way the circumstances and evidence prevent themselves, that people aren't going away for long periods of time or getting punished for crimes that they committed. Or they might plea. They might plea. Because, I mean, most cases, we've already talked about this, ends up, end up in plea deals, like 95% of them. And that's for one reason or another, whether or not they want to get them into treatment court or some other type of court or that just the evidence isn't great because Frank and I will tell you straight up. Sometimes when you go to a trial, it's a roll of the dice, depending on the jury. That's why we have most, most defendants will take a jury trial other than a bench trial. A bench trial is a judge and judge is pretty well established. You, you at least hope with knowing the law and sometimes the jury isn't and they might think, Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see that. And yep. if that reasonable doubt craps or, you know, shoots in their head then you know there's that possibility that the person is going to be found not guilty so sometimes uh the job is unfair and long-term lasting effects and i think i think i talked about this a little, a little later but what i mean by that is people don't realize and i think a lot of times we're changing the narrative of you know police and offender interactions and the community base and all that type of stuff and about how, you know, prison sentences and we need to be more rehabilitation. And I think what kind of gets lost in that is the victim. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have a person who you know, might go to jail for a pretty long time, whether it's a burglary or robbery or some, you know, what we call part one crime or more violent crime. And what sometimes gets lost is, you know, the victim in that. And there's long-lasting psychological effects. I mean, if you you as the victim are in your house one night, and all of a sudden this random person comes into your house and burglarizes your house, you may never feel safe there again, ever. Right. Right. It's that post-traumatic. Yeah. It's, uh, post-traumatic stress. for the victim. So mm-hmm. life life is life is unfair. Uh, and sometimes we see that. Okay. Uh, the thin, I like this. The thin blue line is very thin. Okay. There are a lot of few, there are a lot fewer of us out on the street than, than, you know. Okay. So, and they provide a good example. And this is pretty true. They say, take your local agency's head count. Okay. So head count, take off about 20% for administrative, for administrative assignments, then divide the remaining amount by three or four shifts. Then subtract about a quarter for those on days off, sick days, limited duty or light duty, training, and vacation. And what do you get? You get a couple cops. <laughs> yes. So the the title of the thin blue line is very thin. It's kind of appropriate, and we 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 see that a lot, you know, with stuff going on, you know, because we're human. We have lives too. We get hurt. We get sick. We have kids. Well, I think that there is a, uh, a misconception, and I'm, and I think it's around everywhere, is that they think there is a lot more cops on the street than what they really are. Oh yeah. And they also think that that's why your response times should be quicker, or that you know maybe sometimes even that they're 
cases should be solved more often than not when sometimes it's the who done it and you just don't have the manpower to track down everything. Yeah. So I, I wrote this down here. So just for our example, so you have obviously the administration. So you have the top level individuals, you know, bigger to major departments. You have deputy chiefs, you know, assistant chiefs, colonels, majors, all the way down to, you know, cap or uh, captains, uh, lieutenants, sergeants, and sergeants, lieutenant sergeant level. You're getting more in, into the actual patrol or uh, half admin, admin, half, you know, man or street. But for the most part, you still have your administration and they have an important role because a lot of them are experienced. You work your way up just like everybody works their way up and they have things that they have to get done and you know, they have to account for everybody. They got that over overarching view, that bird's eye view of everyone. So that's important. So along with the administration, then you, you keep going down the list. You have required training. Okay. The big thing now is, and who knows, you know, we have a, a possibly a new president. I mean, God, who knows when that's going to get freaking settled. <laughs> we, we think he's going to be the president-elect Biden, but he's calling for increased training, which Frank and I will raise our hand and say, let's do it. Come on. We'll take on more training. Well, with training, there is the training that they want us to go to, but there's also tons of required trainings that we have to go to, whether it be firearms, first aid training, uh, mental health, you know, CIT training. What else? Oh, mandatory, uh, like updates, you know, like uh, continuing education courses. We got to take those. Oh, and then we just, but there's a bunch of recertifying stuff too. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, your taser is once yeah. a year. You have people that need to do their ASP recertifications. And, and, and some agencies are different with that. But, th but some of that is governed by the people who are giving those certifications out. Like the American Red Cross says, hey, you got to do this. What is it? Once every right. three years? I think but, it's every once every two. Oh. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, you have these people that are dictating the the amount of time and or the, how frequent you need to get certified and the agencies just have to abide by it or else they don't get that certification that they need to help them in any litigated cases. Well, the people doing that, it's actually like the legislature. The legislature is governing, hey, these are the rules that you have to abide by. And okay, so that's like required training. So what that means is you've got you know, you have send officers to require training. And a lot of times it can only happen at certain days of the year. For instance, we don't have, for us, we don't actually have our own range. So we have to share a range with other departments. So we got to have time to get out there and qualify. Um, you have like the first day train that comes up only certain years. Sometimes like Frank said, the OC, Taser, all this type of stuff. And you have to, you have to send officers to this training. So what that does is that limits your, patrol so you already knocked down at least one or two officers more so how many he's in the training then you got officers that take vacation or get sick or have a kid have to quarantine have to quarantine yeah <laughs> if they can make it you know covid related so uh that, that cuts in the, the manpower it really does and a lot sometimes that's out of control and of course you want to send officers to train more training is better for it. we learn more we learn more we have more certifications or more well-rounded officers by sending officers training. And that's obviously limited by budgets and all that type of stuff. But, you know, we're all for that. Okay. So then we take that. So we got admin, we got training, we got community service. Okay. That's another one. So we have, you know, officers that are 
their role isn't, they don't go out and answer calls. They don't do investigations. They meet with the community. They go to, you know, it used to be back in the day when I was, we were kids, like the D.A.R.E. program. But now, yeah. you, you know, you go out, you talk to the schools, you know, you, you're educational. Like, this is what's going on. Like, our podcast is educational. We could be community service related. But what that is, a lot of social media stuff. So you have officers, you might have a PIO, a public information officer. That's, that's their job because that's where, the way the world's going. So that's another officer off patrol. You have, you know, for us accreditation or you know, uh, we have an officer that does accreditation and training and stuff like that. And that's their job because they have to provide accountability and documentation for it. everything we just talked about, including all the required trainings. That's their job. Then you get into CID which stands for criminal investigation, criminal investigative division, right? Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Basically we just call it investigative the, investigations yeah, or the bureau or the detective bureau detectives, or as some officers will call them the defectives. Yeah. Those are a holes. Yeah. Defective. <laughs> <laughs> Frank's, Frank's saying that now because he's, he's one of them, but anyway, they have, they're not out usually answering calls either. They're they're there to provide those investigations because a lot of them are more experienced officers. They know how to you know do search warrants, do interviews, that type of stuff, and they're more lengthy investigations. So it's more officers off the street. Then of course you got we talked about vacations, uh, which we're you know we get a good amount of vacation, but there's a reason for that because we work. Guess what? We work weekends. We work holidays. And we need that mental break from being at work all the time. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff that we deal with yeah. all the time. Get a little yeah. extra time off. Yeah. yeah. And good. Yeah. I was going to say that then those even vary, you know, for vacations during the summer or vacations right now in the, in the, you know, in the holiday season or hunting, the thin blue line gets lin, uh, very thin over the next couple of weeks. Yep, yep. Uh, and, and most people don't realize one of our busiest nights of the year is Thanksgiving Eve. Everybody's out drinking. And probably not this year just because the bars aren't really what they used to be. But Although it could be worse. Everybody's drinking at home. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so officers get sick. Uh, officers get injured on duty and off duty. A lot of times you may, you know, we want officers getting for pursuit and guess what they may tear their acl or they're trying to wrestle wrestle with somebody and get them handcuffed and they you know dislocate their shoulder pull tear labor and that type of stuff stuff that's called iod injured on duty and they're officers that get injured off duty and they're out because if you're hurt and your arm's in a sling guess what you're not gonna be able to use that arm to fire your gun or go arrest somebody or go hands-on and for uh, maternity or paternity leave? Yeah, yeah. I mean, female officers who we need in this job, if, if they have a child, it's not like they're the man. They're going to be off for like two weeks. They're going to be off for a month, two months, three months, whatever it takes. Shout out to the women out there. But anyway, so yeah, those are all the overarching theme of the thin blue line is very thin. I like that. I really like that. Victims, number four. So number one was life is short, death is unpredictable. Number two, life is unfair. Number three, the thin blue line is very thin. Number four, I like this. Victims can be idiots. All right. <laughs> they added that can be in there so that they yes. can save their butt. Yeah. yeah. 
sometimes we I talk about the controllable versus the uncontrollable. So, you know, we talk about the fundamentals. You know, when you talk about sports, you talk about fundamentals, stuff you can control, the fundamentals. Make sure you, you know, for a football team, you know, you, you practice, you, you don't get penalties, you, you don't line off offsides, you know what the snap count is, that type of stuff. You know what your block is. That These are all fundamentals. Well, sometimes victims don't really – what's a polite way of saying that? Don't do what they're supposed to do. Okay. Well, so. sometimes we, we even say like uh, we try to decrease the opportunities for crime. Yeah. And that's where these, the, uh, the victim and the idiot victims come in, where if they maybe were a little bit more educated about uh, how their actions are making them susceptible to crime, it would, it would, yeah, maybe help everybody out. So simple things here. Don't, go outside to start your car up in the winter time and leave it running. That's just, yeah. If you don't, yeah. Especially if you live in an urban environment or a suburban environment. Yes. A lot of times it's, you know, you're just calling for an opportunity of theft. That's what I call you. They're opportunistic crimes. Same thing with your doors left unlocked or your windows not closed. That type of stuff. Yeah. Opportunistic crimes. And the last one is, it's the people that just listen to scams. Okay. I don't I mean, know if I called you up right now and said, look, you give me 200 bucks, it actually will allow me to pay you a thousand dollars. You're not going to give me that 200 bucks. Are you the Prince of Nigeria? No, I'm, I'm calling about a, uh, a vacation that I'm going to make sure you get. Yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. Okay. And guess or what? actually what's better than that is when they say, look, you know, you won. Uh, but in order for you to claim your prize, you have to send me $500 worth of iTunes gift cards. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's what I'm saying. Victims aren't always what we consider the sharpest tools in the shed with that. So don't, the scams are obviously scams. Don't, don't buy into that. So that was number four. Three more. Crime pays. What do we mean by that? I don't know. I'm so kind of looking you, at what you wrote. Well, you work drugs. So that one that one time that you arrested that guy for selling drugs, how many other times do you think he sold drugs? A ton. <laughs> exactly. We're talking maybe one out of a hundred. One out of a thousand. One out of two two thousand, twenty five hundred. And guess what? That person's making money every time they do that. Or Every time that somebody commits, you know, a street robbery, while they don't make out a lot of cash, that's probably not the only time they're doing it. Every time someone burglarizes a house and steals something, that's not the first time they're doing it. A lot of times, these are crimes where they come in waves, and you know, they they discuss that in the article. Burglars commit hundreds of crimes before they are caught, and we only tie them into like five or ten of them. Mm-hmm. And then it gives you know, the prosecutor will take a plea on one. And the courts tend to give probation. So even repeat burglars will be the first out the door after parole hearings. And, you know, that with plea deals and all that type of stuff, you're looking at, they're, they're really making out. And then when it comes to restitution, it could take years and years and years for them to pay their fines. And a lot of times they don't do that. Yeah, they, they basically try to get them to pay any bit of restitution that they can. And I remember after the one arson case, the victim was getting like uh, every month they were getting like 94 cents a check. I mean, by the time they mailed the, the, the county mailed out the check and everything, I mean, they were, it was like a, yeah. a wash. Yeah. 
now there are ways for the people to earn money in jail. And a lot of times it's required because some of the restitution, but again, you're talking what you're charged with arson. You burn down a house. That's like $200,000 and you're getting a check for 94 cents a month. Yeah. Let's do the math. Unless the person lives to be like 5,000, you're not getting your full money back. Yeah. So, yeah. You can tell so, your grandchildren to look out for that money. <laughs> so crime pays. Not always. But tell you what, it, yeah. Some, some of it doesn't pay, but I tell you what, man, some of those drug dealers are making some bank. Well, remember, it, we talked about like major cases. How about the, what was the one where they did the, the search warrant? Account? What was the cast under the floorboards? How yeah. much was it? I thought it was in the seventies. Yeah. $70,000. They got the watches, they got the cars, all this type of stuff. Now we'll make the argument that eventually they will get caught. And I don't care how much money you make. It's not worth doing freaking a couple years in jail. No, thanks. But it does, it does pay for some. The feds get a hold of you. You're talking long time. Yeah. So number six, and this kind of ties in when we talk about this, victims are never made whole. Okay. So again, we talk about restitution. We talk about property values. We talk about how you're never getting that, but it's not just, physical, psychological, we mentioned the burglaries, you know, the psychological effect, the street robbery, getting the gun pointed in your face. You may never forget that. Or, you know, we talked about in the court case today, how about a rape case? Psychological psychological effects of that are forever. Forever. Victim might have to go to counseling the rest of their lives. Victims are never made whole. And again, that's what I harp on a lot when we get into this whole new phase of rehabilitation, you know, get set people free out of jails and stuff like that. I, I think we tend to overlook the victims in these cases. And, you know, we, there's, what are, what are the four factors in, in, involved in, in sentencing? It's deterrence, retribution. Wow. You're really going back um, on this, and man. Then, hold on. This is like from my college courses, deterrence, retribution, punishment, and rehabilitation. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, I think somebody can quote me. No, I think you're right. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and this is where it's hard for some people who, yes, some people have been involved in accidents that were minor. Yeah, yeah. And some people have gotten tickets, or some people have. It, but I tell you what, even somebody pickpocketing you, you feel violated. Like you feel like, like what this just happened to me? Like it doesn't even feel right. Well, could you imagine that being your home where, right. you know, you walk into your home and you're looking around corners to make sure nobody was there because you were already burglarized once or every time you go out to the car and you know, that one time that you got out there and a guy stuck a gun to your face, like, again, that's the same thing. Like you're always going to have that replaying in your mind and it's hard. Right. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. So. That was number six, victims every hole. And last but not least, number seven, the blue wall is not how Hollywood portrays it. And when we talk about this, they give the the example here. And it is kind of true. I mean, it's kind of true in some ways. We don't always get along with our partners. And that is within department, but a lot of times it's, you know, interagency and the coordinating agencies together. So a lot of times <laughs> we're, we're local cops. So we always like sort of make fun of the state cops and then sort of make fun of the feds because everybody does things a little differently and everybody thinks they're a little better than the other one. 
And a lot of times we may not get along and we get frustrated over the radio sometimes, but you know, in the end we'll always back each other up, but we'll always complain about each other too. Well, I mean, I think that the, and this is one of some of the misconceptions that come with like the, the thin blue line or, uh, and the police unions even is that, uh, we're we're not. I mean, it is a fraternity, but it's not like a fraternity like in in college. And and the other thing is that uh, again, we're not going to stand behind bad cops, right? And what up, man? I lost my train of thought there. That's because but, you're, you're probably freezing. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm in the basement. It's the winter time. It gets so are, cold down here. Are you here. doing your pellet stove? Not yet. Wow. Okay. No, we will though. But the but Hollywood portrays it as everybody's uh, buddy buddy, and you know you watch End of Watch, you get a good sense. Like even though you know they they don't like some of those officers, and you know they're a holes. Uh, but the thing that makes that thin blue line realistic is that we're all doing the same job. We're all putting our life on the line. We're all we all realize that we have good days and bad days, and that's where if you're doing an honorable job, even if you don't like the person next to you you're going to make sure that they come home safe at the end of the night. And that's, that's my opinion of, you know, that's where the thin blue line comes in. Yeah. But so um, those are the, the seven things they talk about in this, about how, you know, seven things cops know that would scare most civilians. Again, one life is short. Death is unpredictable. Two life is unfair. Three, the thin blue line is very thin at times. Four victims can be idiots. Five, crime pays at times. Six, victims are never made whole, and that's just property-wise, tangible, and psychological. And the blue wall is not how Hollywood portrays it, which is obviously, I mean, we'll tell you any cop show isn't really, doesn't really mimic or do justice what the the cop shows like. Uh, Although everybody should go out and watch The Wire, because that's the best. The wire is awesome, but there's some Hollywood in that too. There is, there is, there is. But you almost have to for a TV show. Yeah, you're, you're not. You're saying you're saying Southland wasn't real. Southland started out well, okay, and then as as it, as it got you know into the what the second or third season, yeah. For a while there, every season they were threatened to be canceled, and then some yeah. other network was picking them up. So I think they had to like up the ante there, but. But I mean, even like it, True Detective again. That's a crazy. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the first, the first one was like a crazy case. The first second one, one was first one was the best. Second one was like, eh. Third one was decent, but the first mm-hmm. one was by far the best. Did you watch the third one? I watched like the first episode or two, but I just uh, pretty good. Just never yeah. finished it. It's pretty good. Yeah. So anyway, well, if I had watched all the shows that people recommended to me, I'd oh, never I leave know. the house. I can't. I don't even have cable right now. Although you do need to watch the Mandalorian, I watched, I think two episodes of that so far. Yeah, there's only there's only been two out. Yeah. Okay, then I'm I should be up to date. I just talked to somebody. They said, "Man, eh, I didn't really like the second one." I said, "The second one was actually, I thought it was pretty good too. I, I thought the first one was the best, but the second one was pretty good too." If you're not watching, if you don't have Disney Plus, honestly, Disney Plus is great for kids, but for adults, the Mandalorian is where it's at with that. That's what I would say, and I got to start. And I got to start watching Clone Wars, right? If you're a Star Wars fan, uh, Clone Wars, even though it's an animated series, it it it's awesome. It's great. Yeah, 
but it's eight. It's like eight seasons, and I think they just re-upped it for like a. And the eighth season, I think, stopped in like 2014. That they just started the ninth season here in 2020. So gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, well, you gotta get ready for bed. Anything else, Frank? No, uh, I would. I would say that uh, we appreciate you uh, with your patience. I guess here because uh, Patrick has has a, a new schedule. Uh, and we, then we both have new schedules. I have a new schedule. Well, I, actually, Patrick and I are complete opposites now. I'm eight to four Monday through Friday. Now he's like For the most evening part. shift. Yeah, yeah. But either way, we we don't we basically uh you know I he tags he tags me out uh at the at the at the end of the day, and so we're we're on opposite schedules. And this week, it just with life, it didn't happen, so we couldn't get it there on time. But we'll, we'll get back on track here, and uh, we'll yeah. get the content flowing yeah. again. But uh, got, how many how, how many more episodes do you think before we do do our winter break? I think we'll go up to twenty two again. So right. uh, this is seven sixteen seventeen. But uh, but yeah, so we probably have four or five more, and then we have some holiday stuff going on there. I already I'm, I'm scheduling Catherine Boat to come back on. She uh, again, she's got a busy schedule. So throwing, she's so she's trying to get back on, and that's by popular demand, actually. And uh, yeah, and then you know what's his name, Randall. Randall keeps promoting his tactical alphabet show. He said he said that it's going to be the most popular show by the time he's done uh, popularizing it. So, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it's getting late. We I have to get up early tomorrow, and. Uh, Again, we have we have some holiday stuff coming out too for the uh, yeah. You just said that. You're I'm tired. Saying, did I say it? Yeah, you're tired, Frank, and you're All cold. Right. I'm looking at him. He's got a hooded sweatshirt and he's got a blanket over his. I'm like man, I mean, I know you're cheap, but you could turn the heat on, man. I have heat in the basement, but it normally just stays at like sixty degrees. That's the way I like it. Yeah, it's nice. Alrighty. Hey, remember, reach out to us on uh, com. I know we've getting a little lackluster with updating that, but we got to get back on that. Uh, it's on. It's up. Everything's good to go there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just, we haven't yeah. been blogging, which that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Patrick at com. Frank at com. Give us that five-star review. Reach out to us on Twitter or the Instagram uh yeah, give us that five star review. That's about it, man. Follow don't, us. Don't yeah, don't follow us. We got we we uh, provide some good articles. I mean, I, I we, using the Twitter, I found this article. Police One has some good stuff. Check out policeone.com. Really good articles. A lot of times they provide training, they provide examples, provide newsworthy stuff of a lot of good stuff, and sometimes cops that do bad stuff. They're pretty fair, but yeah, reach out. Anyway. Have a great evening, y'all. We'll see you next week. We don't exactly know when. We haven't scheduled it yet, but we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>